This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Shake Them Ropes. My name is Chris Novembrino. I am unfettered by the man, by consumerism (laughs) this week, by the elites that control our media, as in like Shake Them Ropes. Like like those are the sponsors and they have a very limited say and they really just want to know where the timestamps are. And we appreciate all of our sponsors and look forward to patronizing them again in the future. (laughs) I'm joined here as always by Jeff Hawkins. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Chris, you are the most underrated uh, voice on the Voices of Wrestling Network, according to one Joe Lanza. Uh, Jeff, properly rated. Uh, I'm doing good. No more vertigo for for that. People checking me on that health. That's uh, that's cleared itself up. Um, You know, it's uh, it's been an interesting week of of the graps, let's say. I, I don't. I don't really have a non graps thing to start with. Uh, so do you just want to go into it? Yeah, it's like all of my non graps stuff that I have. This we, we got out before the show. <laughs> we got out before the show, and, and I specifically did not like save any of it for the show because I thought about any of this. I was like, does any of this work on the air? Which is, let me tell you, Jeff. Um, the worst thing about doing radio stuff is now bad things happen to me, and I go, huh, does that work as banter? Is there a way for me <laughs> to package that into a tight, like, 120 to 180 seconds and get something, like, real nice for an open to shake them ropes or don't worry about the government? And, like, this week, life's just been crapping on me, but it's not, like, and it's not all been bad stuff, but, like, all of the bad stuff has been bad in a way that does not easily bundle. And that to me is really the greatest crime because if life's going to hand me lemons, at least make them packageable into 90 second lemonade. Well, it's one of those things. Like if you say you were a comedian, which I actually used to have to say, I did. It's like, you're not going to use this in your act. Are you? <laughs> it's like, well, it depends how bad this goes <laughs> kind of thing. But uh, yeah, we are, uh, we are on all your major uh, podcast platforms. If you want to watch us record the show as, as Chris gets through his coffee and I get through whatever I'm drinking this morning. Uh, you just got to stand outside my window here. You can watch the show. It, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, it's okay. on the Voices Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Voices of Wrestling. I believe the entire word. Special thank you to another show out there, the Stone and Steel Show. I was on there this week for anybody who thinks I'm just a paid shill for WWE. It's like, it felt like a half hour advertisement for go watch AEW because if you want to get into wrestling type of thing, but uh, I'm old friends with uh, Tully Dio, one of the hosts there, and you will be on the show. I think in the coming weeks, they have, they have expressed an interest in, in a little guitar geekery with you uh, because I sold it to them that way. Uh, but I was on there talking graps and what I like and, uh, a little bit of Tully Blanchard <laughs> banter, but thank them uh, for having me on. 
I look forward to that. I was on a bit of a black flag kick here the last couple of weeks. I uh, before, last night uh, overnight, I was here and sequencing out the uh, the drums and the bass to can't decide. So I'm always down to talk some music. But uh, let us talk a oh, little. Wait, bit hold of on. Breath. Let me let me get let me get the rest of the house cleaning done. Oh, okay, sure, sure. To, uh, or we're gonna go into Paul Orndorff first, I think. Um, I'm so I'm so unfamiliar to leading in the show here. This is this is where I get myself in trouble. <laughs> I know that's the weird thing is because I have the ad reads in front of me, and because we don't have any ad reads this week, it's one of those things where it's like oh uh, go ahead chris <laughs> take the wheel take the wheel co-pilot uh, <laughs> land us uh number one the ask us anything we are going to be taping that next week i have a total of one question and he apologized for it being too long and i'm like it's not too long it's the only question i have so far uh dm me or you can email me crapgame13 at gmail uh, I have not missed a week in seven years of doing this show. I don't plan on doing it either. So if we don't get any questions, we're going to end up calling you, Chris, and we're going to end up recording something while I'm on vacation. Uh, the other thing is uh, Chris is going to AEW on Wednesday night, baby. Garland, and I'm also going to be at Monday Night Raw. So Are if, you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, oh, you just, oh, you're going to have one of those post-WrestleMania type weeks. Uh, well, I'll tell you, just... Jeff, I paid the same price for both tickets. So, uh, it, it, like, um, you know, it, it, it was it was a good deal. It was kind of like a two for two for none sort of situation. And um, yeah, like I will be at both. So if you want to link up with me, find me on Twitter at DWATG. Shoot me a DM. Um, you'll also I mean, look for the hair. You'll see my uh, Hayabusa mask because I'm still going to be especially around that many people, I will still be masked up. Uh, so look for the black Hayabusa <laughs> mask. Yeah. I don't want to be seen by the public. No, it's not, bro, you know, it's not even that. Like, this is just like, I, the, the last year has really made me think about how mindlessly I used to, like, walk through crowds of people in a way that, like, there's no good reason to be, like, this close to a whole bunch of strangers on, like, a regular basis. You know, a little, a little distance ain't so bad. I've certainly been persuaded on it. So, you know, the mask will be uh, hanging around. Start off with a little sad news. Paul Orndorff, one Mr. Wonderful, passing away this week. Um, I heard the, the flagship did some great audio on this, so I, I'm not going to try and, you know, reinvent the wheel. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. But Paul Orndorff, for me, was kind of my entry into WWF because we didn't get WWF where, where I lived unless you had cable and I didn't have cable at the time, but I mean, this is a guy I think whose influence at least, or at least presence is very underrated. He's one half of the first main event for WrestleMania one. He's part of that first survivor series main event. Here's the stat. I didn't know I'm reading a bit from the uh, wrestling observer newsletter. Uh, the 1986 feud with Hulk Hogan was the most successful house feud in pro wrestling history. That's big. I know, I know we've had the Attitude Era and sold out shows for years and things like that, but a successful house show feud is something that we may never see the likes of again, really, because house shows don't matter all that much. Now, I'm probably going to yak a little bit here, Chris, so you'll pardon me, <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you in here for that. But I'll be me, intermittently on and off camera, but I'll be listening the whole time. <laughs> Uh, I, I have just recently gotten to watch a lot of Orndorff's early stuff with Mid-South. Um, this is, I believe, before he goes to Crockett the first time. 
and uh, his brother Terry is there. He has a brother named Terry Orndorff, which is amazing. But the thing about Orndorff that I've gotten from watching him uh, throughout history is that's a guy that to me, when you say Florida wrestler, that's the guy I think of. And the irony of that is that he was never a big deal in the Florida territory. He's this bodybuilder. He was doing arm wrestling and an early version of underground fighting MMA when he got into wrestling. But he's a bodybuilder who knew his tech, who knew his technicals, legit tough guy thing. I know Chris will remember this, the, the story of Paul Orndorff backstage at WCW in his shower shoes, basically beating the crap out of Vader when Vader was acting up. And you all know we love us some Vader, but Vader could be a bit of a baby at times. And, and Orndorff wasn't going to take that crap. Yeah, well, keep going because I, I I want to talk about that moment specifically because like yeah I I have thoughts on that moment. Okay, we we have a lead up to that, but uh, I mean I was watching I watched a little bit of him in NWA when I was just kind of doing a historical watch, and the thing is, for all the crap that we give WWF about guys, there were certain guys. There's a certain brand of person that Vince McMahon took and made into something a lot more than they ever would have been had they not gone there. And for me, Paul Orndorff is very much like Kurt Hennig, a.k.a. Mr. Perfect, in that realm. Kurt Hennig, good enough wrestler, not a great promo, but when Vince got a hold of him, he made him into something huge. Turning Paul Orndorff into kind of a... I mean, he was he was good, don't get me wrong. But if you watch the promos... And there's something I think that went on in territory wrestling back then. I can't, I haven't talked to anybody about this, but I should ask is that there was, there was a mindset on promos that you'd watch where the guys would start out very quiet and then try to crescendo to the end type of thing. You'd see this in in a lot of early mid Atlantic in terms of the eighties and things like that. If you watch Orndorff in WWF, once he becomes that Mr. Wonderful guy, as soon as the promo, and especially, yeah, that first heel run and then turns babyface, turns on Hogan, becomes, you know, his his arch nemesis for that long period. Once you get to that period of Orndorff, he knows that once he gets on camera, he has to be on like that. So he's always angry. He's always, you know, kind of doing the, I'm doing the thing with my hands. You can't see this on, on, uh, on a podcast, of course. But, you know, he's like, he's like automatically at a 10. When, when the promo starts. And that's the magic that Vince brought to Paul Orndorff. Um, of course, he, had, he was one half of, the, of uh, the first main event at WrestleMania. He and Roddy Piper versus Mr. T and Hulk Hogan. Uh, you know, then, then Piper and Orton turn on him. He becomes a babyface for a short time. He ends up turning on Hogan, becoming a member of the Heenan family, becomes really the first member of that Heenan family to be in the parade of guys that that Heenan would run, run through and become the pattern with Bundy and Stud and, and others in that. Uh, for my money, one of the best pile drivers in the business. He did that kind of jump up pile driver that Bret Hart kind of aped it a little bit, I think, at some times. But uh, to the point where, and this is where my, my favorite run came in, 
Okay, so he goes through WWF and he and he's doing, you know, he did the uh the classic cage match with Hogan where they both climb over and they tie when they land on the ground and you know that who's the champion type things. And he gets turned on by the Heenan family eventually. Kind of wears out his welcome. Takes a couple years, goes runs his bowling alley down in Georgia. Um which is fascinating on its own end to me is that a guy took his wrestling money to open a bowling alley. You know, but around, uh, you know, he takes those th- last three years kind of off. And then in 1990, he does like a three-month stint in NWA, WCW, when they sign Junkyard Dog and Iron Sheik. And those he's like part of those dudes with attitudes type things. And he's facing the horsemen. Very interesting Arn Anderson match and a clash during this time, which is cool. And then he goes off to Herb Abrams. And then, and then to me, when he gets done with whatever he's doing with Herb Abrams, because I know, have you watched any Herb Abrams UWF, Chris? I, I don't know those. that I ever have actually okay. sat down and really watched any. Like, like, I think I maybe have seen an isolated episode of UWF, but I've never actually attempted to sit down and watch some of the Herb Abrams, like, angles, etc. But after the Herb Abrams thing, he ends up coming back to WCW because he's a Bill Watts guy, and Bill Watts brought him in. And, and and this, to me, is his most interesting period, at least, because this is where he has to get away from the WWF, big man style, you know, the very, I mean, for lack of a better term, the WWF had a very easy style to me. And he's doing some interesting work. I went on to his wrestling, uh, pro wrestling DB page, and I was looking at matches and looking them up, and there, I mean, he's doing things like tag matches with Chris Benoit. He's... <laughs> Tag matches with Rick Rude. He, he's he's kind of in that same vein as Steven Regal at the time. You know, he's a guy who's very technical. You know, he has he can do a lot there. He goes he goes from from WCW when Watts gets axed. And he goes to Smoky Mountain, which is interesting in its own. And in the early days of Smoky Mountain, ninety two ninety three. Orndorff's there, and they're doing the whole we're banning the pile driver because it's too dangerous a move, and he's doing great promos against just vanilla garbage like like Tim Horner. <laughs> Tim Horner, not the most fascinating dude in the world, but, you know, he has these things. You know, he comes back, he's doing, he comes back to WCW eventually, he wins the TV title. I might have my timeline mixed up there. Chris, do you know who you won the TV title from in the tournament, in that last round? Too Cold Scorpio. Chris, you did a show called High Wattage at one time on your Patreon. Oh, my God. He beat Eric Watts? He beat Eric Watts, and I watched this match. And it I is have not a... watched this match. I think I, gotta, I think I might need to do a bonus episode of High Wattage here. Well, here is what fascinated me about this, because it's, it's Tony and Jesse on, on the commentary, so this must have been before the Smoky Mountain thing, because that was 90. 192 I guess Orndorff is fairly clean in this match and even Tony's remarking on this it is a grappling match it is it is a straight wrestling match Orndorff does one heelish thing towards the end and that's throw Eric Watts outside of the ring you know using leverage really that's the only thing he does and he pins him clean and I was like I'm I'm watching this with almost my mouth agape because I am so pattern into WWE where heels must cheat at all times 
to win. They must always be weasels. They must always be taking the advantage. They must always have distractions. They must always be pulling tights and pulling hair and things like that. And it's like, it makes it so much better for a heel to give them that kind of credibility to go to go into that match and just r- win it kind of straight. And that's what he did. I was like, holy crap, they gave a heel a clean win here. But I'll just wrap up the rest of, I mean, too many people remember Orndorff's WCW run for the for Pretty Wonderful. And who is it? The Gary Spivey bits, the dude with the silvery curly hair where he's looking in the window and it's getting a little sports entertainer here. But in that mid nineties, early nineties thing, he has that, he has the super brawl match. I believe it's super brawl. Is it super brawl or, or slam break? I can't remember with uh cactus Jack, the false cat anywhere match, which I believe we watched for an episode for, uh, for something on the Patreon one time. And that match is awesome. He's doing this awesome, cool, these cool little feuds here with like Dustin Rhodes and Ricky, the dragon steamboat. And that's the stuff I would tell you to go watch. If I was going to tell you to watch, I mean, sure, the WWF stuff is big, but I tell you to go watch that kind of 92 to, or 91, uh, 92 to 94, Paul Orndorff in WCW. He continues through the early days of, uh, of the Monday Night Wars, gets out, gets put out by the early version of the Horseman. Also, when he has his, uh, his Vader issues, uh, his arm by then is atrophied because he got dropped on his neck and like, that was during the Hogan feud, and he just never. That was during the Hogan feud. Yeah, he, he never, never took the time off to get better on that. Um, yeah, and, and one of the things that I think has always been interesting about the WCW days is uh, Orndorff. In addition to doing really interesting work, changing up his match style, like mm-hmm. going from being like wonderful '80s Orndorff to like what I would maybe dub as like gritty orndorf uh like yeah like, grizzled veteran it's very grizzled veteran that he's doing yeah it's kind of awesome but like you know there's there it's punches kicks and pile drivers and st- like okay and that might sound boring but orndorf had a good punch orndorf had a good kick orndorf had a good pile driver and like Orndorff um, is a real testament to if you have like a really good sense of the fundamentals, you can make those fundamental moves still look really, really interesting. Um, and you know, he did change with the time. The other thing, though, about the arm that I've always found interesting is that he clearly put some time and thought into how to position his body so that he ducked the arm as much as possible for the camera. Um, and, and it's actually like... I mean, it is it is pretty studied how he does it. I mean, he 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 finds a way to hide that arm a lot, um, and he does it pretty well. Uh, it, it, so with the Vader thing, I mean, look, I'm not gonna get come on here and give you some sort of contrarian take that like Vader was actually right and like Orndorff was wildly <laughs> in the wrong. You know, no, no, like Vader was Vader was obviously wrong here. Vader's explanation for this. It is do, it, do you, you know you know the you know the incident then can you give some prelude just in case people don't yeah know? all right so vader is in the back um is he fighting about not wanting to lose to hogan i think it's about doing promos doing yeah yeah all right all right and then orndorff comes up orndorff is in flip-flops a point that orndorff has like basically been <laughs> fond of noting in every single shoot interview ever since like, like you can't you cannot watch paul orndorff talk about this without him noting i was in flip-flops too i mean but like i mean th- the big problem here for vader is essentially you gotta remember 
This is an aging Paul Warndorf. I think he's well over the age of 40 at this point. He's having, as Jeff mentioned, the arm atrophy issue. We were just discussing that. Everyone in the locker room knows that. Of course, they're polite and they're not like bringing it up all of the time. But like if you get into a fight with a man with a withering arm um, that, you know, and, and you're calling yourself some big monster tough guy, dude, you, I hope you win. And in the case of Van Vader, Big Van Vader did not win this fight. He actually lost it fairly handily. Um, and that resulted in Vader losing his job at WCW. Um, it, it was it was a pivotal moment in his career. I think it could be my only thought on it that I guess is slightly contrarian is that I, I think you can overstate it a little bit because I think that Hogan's arrival in WCW was going to be a problem for Vader whether if he had stayed there 96 97 like the nwo run was not going to be favorable to vader i think one of the first people the nwo was going to go through would be vader if vader had stayed around in 96 97 i think vader's probably done anyways there by 96 97 because he's probably the big monster like he, he ends up basically being hogan's yokozuna in terms of or getting the those giants things Yokozuna um, that yeah. Like, yeah, they bring in the giant Vader goes up against the giant um, and it's the, it's the giants first signature win. Yeah. Some, something to that effect. It's, it's, it's interesting to say, but, but in terms of Orndorff, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing if what, what, what got me was how much he improved on his promos as time went on once he became kind of grizzled and once and what the WWF did for his promo abilities. And I think they'd really taught him how to do a really good promo because he's just always intense. Once you get to that point where it's he and Piper against Hogan and, uh, and Mr. T it's, it's kind of the, it's kind of the, I always have to be Roddy Piper type of Paul Orndorff. And and he, he continues that throughout the rest of his career. Um, terms of matches yeah go into the pro fight db look at his lineup of matches that he's having he's having a lot of interesting matches go through the clashes and the super balls uh that that cactus jack match is something that it's 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 more famous for cactus jack doing that somersault flip off of the second rope onto the floor where he just splats onto him i mean i mean but uh he is doing some great work there uh, his last matches on TV were the 2000 Nitro, you know, towards the end there, he became, he became a trainer at the power plant, which I think, <laughs> you know, that would be, that would scare that. That's, that's the kind of guy who's, uh, separating the wheat from the chaff, let's say. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, definitely underappreciated, I think in wrestling history, just due to his contributions to that first WrestleMania and that first survivor series match which are both you know tiffany or they used to be tiffany uh pay-per-views now for the wwe i don't think survivor series is as much it's kind of been replaced a little bit by money in the bank which we'll go over later this time um but that's all i have to say about paul orndorff what about you that's all i got man uh like if if you're interested in going and checking out uh some Paul Warndorf matches, it, it'll be worth your time, especially the later on in his career. Guy who had a real big commercial run in the 80s, um, and then later in his career, uh, I, I think he clearly enjoyed wrestling enough and, and like, kind of got the, the sort of, uh, I don't want to say the art of wrestling, but, like, understood it as more than just a be big and have a great body in the ring thing that there's actually like a technique to it. Um, and you really get to see that shine in the nineties and like, yeah, just interesting career, man. Interesting career. 
on the business side of wrestling, wrestling had a really good week this week. There's no denying that. AEW? Which company? Show. Which company? All show, I think all companies had a good quote-unquote business week. Because that SmackDown, that SmackDown at least got people talking. With the crowd and like the reactions to Bianca Belair, who hadn't had a crowd reaction up until then. That was a positive, I thought. I thought it was a decent enough energy show for WWE. I'm not going to say it was an all-time great SmackDown. I, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to tell because there's some clear audio sweetening that's going yes. on. Um, and so, I, I mean, no, I'm for real. I'm not like I'm not just like trying to like be like the wet blanket. No, like, I know. It, it is. I mean, I, I you're talking. You brought Bianca specifically. That is a point where I felt, at least to my ears, the ESTs. Some of them felt piped in. So okay. I don't know organically how much of that is. <laughs> cedar i live in texas i don't know where cedar whatever it was is in texas um I, I don't know how much of that is bianca belair really connects with cedar somewhere texas and or how this much was of houston that is, this was houston last night though, oh, okay oh, all right all right all right so like it's out by the way you're the one go you're the one going to cedar whatever <laughs> no i don't know i know that's no, AEW. No, that was a do not slander me by saying i go to houston <laughs> houston is a horrible place i would never do that i live in dallas uh, and, well, well, no, I just started laughing when you were talking about sweetening because the worst sweetening this week was NXT UK, where they're doing that. They're doing the uh, the press conference with Walter and, and Ilya Dragunov, and they're still doing the yay boo buttons <laughs> where you have like six reporters asking questions, and there's obviously nobody there else, and they're yay boo. <laughs> and it's funny because like it's, it's just instinctual because you know there's no whys being asked. Like, why would we need the yay boo buttons when we've established for the better part of two years that Walter is a definitive, absolute, complete heel who at best um, moves to respect post-match, but it is the respect of a victor to his victim. Um, not like at like any sort of warmth at no point has Walter been baby face, not ever, never. Um, and they've never turned Ilya Dragunov. So he's actually been like tragic figure. So like, it's, it's just knee jerk. Like, I, I wouldn't even say that that is like a defensive crouch. Like, oh my God, we better pipe in the booze. Otherwise people won't know that Walter's the bad guy. It's just, they just, the, the instinct is got to push the button. This is where the button goes. Got to hit yeah, it. Yeah. And I, I think you're going to get a lot of that, but here's what's interesting. I mean, AEW had a had over a million viewers this week, which is great. We'll get to that, those numbers in a moment. But we're getting a little bit, and we talked about this a little bit before we went on air, but we're going to get into it now. The 80s are back, baby. And by that, I mean WWE, I almost got WWF, <laughs> World Wildlife, no. Uh, That's WWE. how you bring back the 80s, baby. You get them back to WWF. <laughs> Uh, chicanery with trying to screw another promotion trying to run shows because this from the wrestling observer newsletter wwe goes back to touring this weekend and will have sold out shows in houston on 716 for smackdown fort worth on 718 for the money in the bank pay-per-view but there were two major events with tickets officially going on sale on 716 but had pre-sales on 714 that were the biggest news 
AEW's debut in New York City proper on 922 at Arthur Ashe Stadium sold 6,600 tickets in the presale that was not pushed all that hard to the point that I didn't even know about until the night before. That's Dave. AEW had pushed the public on sale uh, date on 716, so next week will be a better look at where the show stands. Still, it will not be the instant sellout that Owl Out in Chicago was, nor was it the hot ticket that SummerSlam in Las Vegas was that moved so many tickets in a better publicized presale. More on that in a bit. A little over 8,000 tickets are out for that show. Arthur Ashe Stadium as a pro wrestling sellout would be 16,500 tickets. But here's where it gets a little interesting. This is me kind of summarizing. WWE decided after Maroon 5 canceled a concert at MSG to do a counter show on September 10th in Madison Square Garden, which has been on sale to the public and only has sold 7,557 tickets probably 2,500 to 3,000 of those being comps for the SmackDown taping. It had 5,700 out after the presale, so an apples-to-apples comparison would have AEW ahead by about 2,400 presale, but MSG is likely ahead dollar-wise. Now, after a week first-day advance for the first time in Madison Square Garden in a long time, WWE announced on July 9th, that top raw talent, without mentioning any names in specific, would be appearing on the SmackDown show that night. There's no doubt the competition will make both WWE and AEW not just load up on the hype, but on delivering the two shows, as well as AEW 915 show in Newark, New Jersey. Yes, WWE had no reason to run New York other than they could. And they've done this. They did this with Crockett all the time on pay-per-views. They've done this for years, threatening certain venues that if you allow people to run there, we'll never run there again. It's it's just kind of interesting, Chris, isn't it? Yeah, um, it, it is a gamble that the current audience is made up of the same level of enthusiasm, and I would even say like broadness, as the 1980s early 1990s uh wrestling audience like 80s really being the peak era in terms of like live attendance and that sort of stuff too and i tend to think that this is where wwe is making a a fairly big miscalculation i think the aew tv ratings numbers sort of suggest that one aew is winning with the let's call them the hardcore fans um the type of people kind of in the same way the type of people in the politics world who would actually get onto a political news website in the first place like whatever your valence is if you're even doing that you're kind of a hardcore because most people like in america don't do stuff like that if people go are, on twitter people go on twitter to talk politics of all valences it, it like yeah, regardless of it like just the mere fact that you're doing that puts you into like what i'm calling the hardcore camp same idea like if you go on squared circle reddit if you're listening to the voices of wrestling podcasting network because you sought out wrestling podcasts to populate your iphone with like you're an active participant in the community I think among the active community, let's say, the hardcores, 
AEW has won. Um, that that people prefer AEW's vision of wrestling to Vince McMahon's present vision of wrestling to WWE's present vision of wrestling, and certainly in terms of outlook, I think among those hardcores, hardcores are more bullish about the next twenty four months of AEW programming versus the next twenty four months of of. Uh, wwe programming and i'm not trying to put myself at an arm's length on that i am a hardcore i am among that pack even with all of my criticisms of aew's product i think aew in terms of me being mentally stimulated while watching this show has a much higher chance like higher likelihood of delivering that to me over the next two years than this current run of wwe television jeff uh, for those of you listening on the radio is nodding along too like, like, like i mean it, like this is not these are not hot takes or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that um, I think that the other thing that we have seen very steadily here over the last, I can pull the camera out five years, right? At this point, we have seen a slow decline in the overall interest level in wrestling. Um, and, and you can see that sort of indicated by television. And you can explain some of that away by changing viewing trends, changing viewing. But like, <laughs> this is serious attrition. If all television was going through this level of attrition, Jeff, it would be a national story. I know this because the news would be like, please don't turn us off. No, we're still relevant to your life. Half the people have been turning off our television network. Um, They'd be pleading at you. You had Chris Cuomo in tears. You had Tucker Carlson in tears begging for you to come back. Um, this is not the story of all television. This is the story of wrestling, um, which is going down. So I see this overall market share of interest among casuals, let's call them, going one way. I see hardcores going another way, and we've all voted with our feet, and we voted for AEW. Even if it's a passive, even if you're not going to put on an AEW t-shirt and join the Dark Order anytime soon like you you also if you watch both of these shows on a regular basis or if you just have to make the decision of i have three hours before i have to go to bed and get back up and go to work and i'm not going to get to watch tv again for two days what am i watching right now it's aew or nxt i'm watching aew um or i'm mean, certainly if it was aew or raw i'm watching aew uh dynamite at least i don't know what the the rampage or whatever they're doing on friday night might be a sticky wicket but I, I, i'm not putting time for that necessarily until i see something um but yeah I, I just think that this is where vince might shoot himself in the foot you can run against them but i think real quickly they might end up a thing where they're in even footing which is nightmare optically for wwe because this whole play that he's trying to do right now is really contingent on the idea of like big guy sticking his thumb on the forehead of the little guy um and and, and holding him down and I think Vince runs a real risk of having even draws or even being underwater. Yes, you're chopping up the pie so that both of you are still a little bit hungry at the end of the night. But if you're getting the smaller end of the pie and your name is WWE, or even if you're getting 50-50, that's not good. Um, and that's not a sustainable campaign model um, like, like, like that. If Vince tries to run his little military campaign around that premise, um, you keep going 50-50 with AEW. Ultimately, he loses because he's got the inferior product, not in terms of visually the new bendy stage looks great or whatever. Um, but in terms of like actually connecting with the hardcore fan base, we're not with him. He's also playing a weird game because with this reduced audience and them being more hardcore and being more online and in tune, people know that 
he's basically lying in press releases. When the WWE comes out and goes, these people aren't our competition, blah, blah, blah. They say that publicly. And then privately, they go around trying to screw them, trying to take away their audience share, trying to do other things, threatening companies, threatening broadcasters. This has been the MO. Nobody's our competition because we do we do a product that blah, 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 blah. But, but underneath, behind the scenes, it's just not true. Now, to your this, point, this gets to another really interesting point. Um, and I, maybe it's been discussed somewhere else and I, I'm not following commentary enough. But I, I think that it's worth noting that Vince, especially over the last five years, ha- and AEW likes to bring this up, Saudi Arabia, for example, has made a company that is very fun to hate. You are not rooting for WWE. You kind of want to see WWE fail. And in the 1990s, WWE straddled this much more morally gray line where like sometimes you sort of had WWF spec. Not all the time. Not like when Vince was like doing the steroids thing, but like when the moralists would go after wrestling and they're like, you're you're ruining the children, Vince McMahon. You're kind of like, all right, that's ridiculous. Like, why are they going after Vince McMahon for that? Or like when they were going after all the wrestlers for like the hardcore backyard wrestling and they're like, this is all your fault, Bret Hart. Um, And Vince would have to come out and defend (laughs) that sort of thing. Like, uh, you know, you kind of were rooting for WWF. And it was 50-50 enough that WWF as a company was morally gray. So you didn't have a strong opinion. Like, you, so essentially, in terms of bias, yeah, you kind of want WWF to still be around. You liked watching Stone Cold Steve Austin. So you were kind of rooting for the company. Right now, I don't see a real rooting for the company vibe. And if anything, it's sort of like, I still, it's like, I'm still eating at McDonald's, even though I know that they're running the concentrated animal feeding operation. I'm still watching WWE, even though I know they have this problematic deal with Saudi Arabia. I'm still watching WWE, even though I know they've been firing people for budgetary concerns while posting record profits in the stock market. I'm still watching WWE, even though I know that they dragged their heels on COVID-19 protocols and we're trying to run WrestleMania at a time where everything else in society was shutting down because Vince was the special little snowflake. Like it's the, I'm still doing it even though I know it's wrong for me, or I'm still doing it even though I know it's wrong, not even for me. I know it's wrong. And that's a different moral space to occupy than the nineties one that WWF was at, which is essentially where AEW is at right now. AEW does not get it all right all the time. Um, one of the vice presidents, Kenny Omega, like you know, remember the time he booked that really problematic dude? Um, uh, the 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 kitty problems or whatever. Like, I mean, like this is not a company that always gets it right all the way through, and this is not a company that employs people that always gets it right all the way through. Um, but it sits in a moral space with the broader audience and the hardcores and stuff where we're like. Yeah, you know, it's cool. AEW on balance. I want to keep watching it. And that's where I'm at. I'm at the, I like the players. I don't like the team ownership, which I have plenty of experience in being a Cincinnati Bengals fan. Uh, (laughs) The problem is I've started to now root against NXT. I think in many ways. Because it's become, I mean, we might go a little bit over that great American. Uh, Can can I go with it? Can I just hit you with my alternate analogy just to see what you think about this one? Uh, This is like a band 
where it's got like a drummer and or maybe a guitar player or something that I really like in it, but I do not like the sound that the band is trying to pursue. I know that the drummer is a good drummer. I've heard the drummer in other projects. I know the guitar player is a good guitar player. I've heard him in other projects. And I even like some of the stuff that this band was doing in the past, but they have been moving in a direction that I'm uninterested in. Actually, what this is like for me is the Strokes. Like I really love their lead guitar player, but the Strokes have not been an interesting band to me in like 15 years. Um, like yeah, So it's, that, that would be what I would compare NXT to right now. This is a band that had a sound I once liked, has some players who I know can play, um, but are not making an interesting sound and not trying to be an interesting band right now. Well, let's go with, well, see, I, would, I wouldn't listen to them if I didn't like the music. And I've never, I can't get with you on that because I've never liked WWE all that much. They've never been my favorite promotion, but yeah, well, didn't give you like NXT. Yes, I did for a long time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm comping. I'm the, the NXT is my the strokes in this case, and uh, you well, know, not, yeah. Let me get the further dichotomy that makes this whole thing kind of interesting. I think um, because it'll also parlay into ratings talk just a little bit. the uh, The September 17th Atlanta show for WWE, which I believe is a SmackDown show, canceled due to I believe lack of interest. Don't quote me on that, but I believe it's lack of tickets. Uh, to, to paraphrase Spinal Tap, that's okay, Jeff. Atlanta, not a big wrestling town. <laughs> but SummerSlam has 40,135 tickets sold. That's going to be a big show for them. So it's 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 yin and yang. And now you compare it to, to the competition. AEW on July 14th did an amazing number against the NBA playoffs with 1,025,000 viewers, 0.40 in the 18 to 49, and 0.24 in 18 to 34. They were first at nine cable. They're going to have the Olympics and the MTV Challenge to deal with, but for the first time in history, AEW Dynamite beat Raw in males 18 to 49 and males 35 to 49. These are the things that were sticking out to me this week is when you really get into the numbers, they start to look really bad. They really look like a mental movement of the masses um, that people have made up their mind. A lot of M's going on here in this uh, paragraph. People have made up their mind. (laughs) What? I said a lot of alliteration. Yeah, I know. Uh, Yeah. uh, Consonants, strong consonants. Um, and they have made up their mind and they've moved more M's uh, to AEW. Um, and it makes sense. These Raws have been a slog. I can't think of the last time Raw has been good. Some of these SmackDowns have been not bad, right? But I cannot think of the last time Monday Night Raw has been a, dude, that was a pretty damn good three hours experience here yeah, over the Casa yeah. Del Nova. I have not had that experience in I don't know how long. It's a little bit more interesting. NXT did 707,000 viewers, which was pretty good for them. Um, but in response to all these numbers and, you know, Vince having an inner thing about, well, I need, he, he knows he needs, he needs more youth movement. <laughs> we get into a little bit of, uh, uh, of roster talk here because there's been some shuffling I don't know if it's good shuffling, but every day I'm whole, shuffling, shuffling. A whole bunch of people were at these. Are, were at these last few tapings doing dark matches. We had 
uh, Bronson Reed, Karrion Cross, Scarlet, Shotzi, Knox, still Shotzi and Knox, even though it, I thought they had put Tegan Knox on the website, but nope, the name of the team is Shotzi and Knox, which is just terrible. Uh, this week, Aaliyah, <laughs> Austin Theory, Odyssey Jones, who hasn't even gotten through the breakout tournament, is, is backstage doing dark matches. And, and it's funny because it's like, well, Vince knows he needs more people and more youth and whatever. And all I'm doing is I'm watching. I'm going, I remember when they did this during the pandemic and they brought up Angel Garza and Umberto Carrillo. And all I'm thinking anytime they do these things is, all right, how's this guy going to lose the Sheamus and how this guy going to lose Randy Orton? That's it, pretty much <laughs> So uh, this is a tough oh, week for me oh, because Slap- Zia Lee also on the list too. We'll get, I'll get to slap. Well, you're, you're, you're stepping on my news leads here. Uh, yeah, okay, this okay. is a tough week for me, Hawkins, because they renamed Slapjack to some guy named Shane Thorne. Apparently has been cosplaying Slapjack, uh, who is a real distinct human, uh, not from, from Shane Thorne. Uh, I used to think that Slapjack was like the worst name for a professional wrestler that this company has come up with, but Knox as just N-O-X is continues to like dumbfound me on how bad of a name it is, especially for this specific wrestler. I'm aware that there's a human named Tegan Knox, but put that aside. Pretend you didn't know that at all. And that all you knew is that there is a woman who is named Knox and she looks like that, which is like, cute with like maybe a little bit of a punky ed. it is just character absolute it, it is absolute death the same way that like world champion slapjack never actually had a <laughs> ring to it uh like, like world champion Knox, like like doesn't even pass my shotzi and Knox, like Knox only works as an adjunct to shotzi um, you know, at least Slapjack had leadership, uh, you know, figures to him. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of, of right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. They come out with a shirt for Shotzi Blackheart. It's an awesome shirt. But they're just going to call her Shotzi on air. Tegan, they apparently had Tegan Knox as Tegan Knox on the SmackDown roster. But Michael Cole on commentary is only using the words Shotzi and Knox, even when naturally it would say, hey, maybe use the first name here. As anything else. So I think they are just going to be Shotzi and Knox. And yes, that that is just it's it's character death for them. More possible shuffling. Zia Lee did a dark match last night as well. Oh my goodness. So they're just going oh, we have the Tony Storm thing. Finn Balor. I mean, you know, Zia Lee getting getting like push like we're still I, the the only place she should be going to and doing matches is the training center where she can rehabilitate those kicks or work them out of her yes. sets. um the, the the thing i mean zia lee and then of course the fact that i'm still seeing jimmy uso on my television here like like, like this stuff Again, going back to what I was saying about this company, how can you root for this company when they're putting an alcoholic on the air and pretending everything's fine with him instead of pulling the guy from TV and getting him to help? Mandy Rose on NXT. Okay. Great. I don't I don't see that. <laughs> I mean, with the with the new Robert Stone brand story, where with I guess Jesse Camille is going to be now the <laughs> the tool in that company with uh oh with uh 
Frankie Monet. You've got Frankie Monet and you've got uh, uh, Robert Stone. And like, I guess we're now building around Jesse, which, I mean, between her and Aaliyah, probably the better of the two prospects, I guess. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really see this going anywhere. The Mandy Rose being introduced to it, it's like, do you really need Mandy and Frankie and like, like? On one hand, there's a lot of overlap, so it makes sense that they'd all be a faction. On the other hand, there's a lot of overlap, and I don't know how this faction is going to be particularly interesting. Rumors of more surprises to come. We had Finn Balor on SmackDown last night. Davey Boy Smith Jr. also wrestled a dark match on the SmackDown tapings. Last seen in WWE as, uh, I believe, D.H. Smith or Harry Smith wearing a cowboy hat. So he may be going back to that. Who knows? I, I don't know. I, I, I loved him in, in New Japan, but I just... I don't understand. I, I mean, I understand why he wants to go to WWE because his dad's legacy is very important to them and they probably have treated his family very nicely. I just, I don't know. And if you want a spoiler for Money in the Bank, which we'll be getting into in a few moments, Goldberg is apparently your next, per Fightful, your next opponent for one Bobby Lashley. I said it the last two times they've brought him back. He should have left after the Brock feud. He'd be thought of as a legend and a legend in good standing for those last three matches. Every time you bring him back after that, it is the law of diminishing returns. Can we call this, this the Undertaker be... law? Can we just yes. refer to this now as the Undertaker law? Because, like, I mean, I think no more powerful version of this has been played out of my lifetime than the streak uh, breaking the streak. If if the match with Brock uh, had been the Undertaker's retirement match, the Undertaker retires an absolute one hundred percent legend. Um, in this case, now the Undertaker has really moved himself into Kiss status, where he has uh, had so many retirement tours. Uh, it's not that we think Kiss is a bad band. No one's going to be like, you know, after the umpteenth retirement tour, Kiss is actually bad. They are a horrible band that never should have been liked by anyone. No one will say that about The Undertaker. But, you know, if they had just stuck the landing on that first retirement tour, just like Undertaker, I think things would be a little bit better off. Um, and it's the same thing with Goldberg here. Uh, I don't need to see Goldberg versus Lashley. This is a, a, an extremely predictable thing though um i i mean i was actually straight up asked who do you think lashley is facing for SummerSlam, and my answer was goldberg um so uh, like i i believe that this this seemed very likely to me i get i get what they are seeing that they're gonna have a nice little worked mma style match um no one's gonna have to jump off the top rope it's gonna be a bunch of power moves a bunch of like you know fake strikes they do it for about five minutes um, and maybe you have like a non-finish or something like that. And that's how Lashley gets his two matches out of Goldberg or something to that effect. Um, I don't see Goldberg winning the title here at SummerSlam. And I have absolutely no interest in, I have no interest in the build for this because Goldberg's not, Goldberg's not a great promo. I have no interest in like a Goldberg feud at this point either. Um, because I've seen the only story that they can tell with Goldberg at this point. And they told it, and they did a really nice job with it, and they should have been done.
And I think what's going to happen is the crowd might turn on this match. Because I don't think Lashley's carrying Goldberg to a great match. Let's put it that way. I don't think he has those types of I skills. I think Goldberg has enough goodwill. And, like, at least right now, people are so happy to be back out and watching wrestling live again. Um, and, like, living a, a life that feels fairly close to the before time once again. That I don't think people are going to just, like, turn on Bill Goldberg. I could be wrong. If Goldberg proceeds to lay eggs on the promos... Um, on the way down, in, going into that match, I could see them maybe turning on it, but like uh, by and large, no, I don't here, think here, that's gonna happen. No, because here's here's what I think: it's gonna be one of those. It's gonna be just like what what match am I thinking of here? It's not one of the it's it's not the Brock series, but kind of like the Brock series. Goldberg gets that first spear and he gets a jackhammer, and Blashley kicks out of it, and then we gotta go into wrestling. And I like Bobby Lashley, but he is not. He has a style he has to work, and a lot of it's based on strength. And Goldberg's probably going to end up accidentally sandbagging him on a few moves, so they're, they're going to look bad. And eventually he gets gets a gets a hurt lock on and, get, and gets the submission. But, you know, everything in between that first spear and the hurt lock is going to be bad. And I think you're going to start getting, like, CM Punk chance or something in that dur- dur- during that time. I just – I don't have a lot of faith in this. That's the other I think thing. I think this might be so short that it doesn't have the time to get the crowd to That would on. be the best thing. That would be the best thing. But the problem is you're going to have weeks of build to SummerSlam where he has to actually do matches and stuff, too, to build it. And, and in order to – I mean, it, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword all the way across, I think. I just – uh, th- th- this is also, I think, a path of peril for WWE. Um, AEW has a lot of goodwill built up, right? As, as we were discussing earlier in the show, I'm not going to recap all of that. Uh, and so I think that right now, um, most of their angles are in harmony with what their audience wants. Their audience has goodwill towards the brand um, and is not going to just go mutiny on in the product they might cheer a heel here and there but it's only because they like the heel it's not that they're turning against the brand wwe on the other hand does legitimately run the risk of being out of touch with some i mean i've been watching these angles over the last year and i've been really wondering are they just leaving me unbelievably cold or is this coldness that I feel going to be mirrored by other people, even in the live audiences who don't, who like, like, you know, still like wrestling, but like hate some of the stuff that this company is churning out right now and are all too eager to spend 20 bucks to go and boo it for a few, for a few hours. Yeah. I, I wonder that too. Um, I don't have any other news and I don't, can we just do the money in the bank preview and get out of here? Really? Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I mean, like I mean, uh, TV, TV my TV, re- my TV reviews are short and sweet. I loved AEW. I thought they might've tried to do a little bit too much this week with every angle being in there, but they had a lot of really good stuff on AEW. The crowd helped. It was a hot crowd. It was a hot show. Darby Allen is way more over than I ever thought he could be at this point. Um, I mean, look, watch Dynamite, watch Raw. I know Raw is still in the Thunderdome or whatever, but like, even watch Dynamite, watch SmackDown if you want two hours versus two hours. But I think that Dynamite, my eyes are not lying to me. I'm watching Dynamite. I'm seeing audiences loving this show. I'm enjoying this show more than I'm enjoying WWE's product right now. Um, problems aside with both, um, 
and I, I don't think that my eyes lie to me. I think that like I am hearing and seeing a better show when I pop on AEW Dynamite. And that's that, that, that's my review. I think NXT um, is going to be in real danger of a crowd turning on them. Uh, when they if, if they take that on the if road, if they get a crowd, if they yeah, get if they, a crowd, yeah, I, I you know your whole cancel for lack of interest thing, like we joked about that with just the one thing. That's Atlanta though. You should be able to get sales in Atlanta, and, and you worry that lack of interest um, belies lack of enthusiasm more broadly um, and lack of goodwill. And uh, yeah, that's that's all I got on the TV side well, of it. My, well, my my issue with NXT this week was it was nothing but sports entertainment angle building every match every match i think i don't think there was one match that was just there to be there everything had to deal with you know you had the loomis and indie love story you had the the gargano cross match was just it was all about getting to joe and cross it, no and actually just, that's a no the loomis indie hartwell thing index this is a trying to make fetch happen thing that WWE has been going into for several months here, telling us, the fans, that we actually really want Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis to hook it up. And I don't, that's not a thing I see. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm sure there are some niche people who maybe liked this at some, you know what I mean? Like, like, but like, you can probably find isolated comments on any message board um on this effect here but the idea that this is some sort of organic movement and it's like we're all cheering for india hartwell and dexter loomis to finally hook it up we're not we're not um and i think that that is sort of that that's wwe's issue and then like or nxt's issue and then the johnny gargano carrying cross match was baffling to me um in the sense that i don't I mean, I get, I get building the cross versus Joe, but I thought that cross was going up to the main roster. I was very confused by this. Um, and I, I still almost, think he is. I think he's going to get stripped of this title, and that's how they get get out, get him out of there. Because I don't know if Joe's coming back. I don't know if Joe's doing a match. I well, really I, don't I mean, I, they, once they introduce the physicality at the end of the match, uh, I mean, I think it's a foregone conclusion. Okay. Yeah, and you know what? Joe as champ would be good, I guess. Uh, NXT UK didn't move my needle in any way on any match, really. Uh, it was fine. There was just nothing that really stood out to me. And we'll get to the main Here, roster. Here's my other thought on, on yeah. Joe, though. Um, I would have much rather seen Joe going up. I would have rather seen weeks and weeks and weeks of heel champion Johnny Gargano and the way antagonizing general manager Joe to yes. finally build to Joe unretiring. And, and we all want to see Joe who we have not seen wrestle in a long time. We're all thrilled to see him wrestle. We want to see him snap the neck of this pencil necked geek, Johnny Gargano. And like, we wanted, Joe we wanted the build. We wanted the build of the tension there for anything. You know, Joe's here, you know, Joe, Joe can't wrestle. So he's here and he's just there and weeks and weeks and weeks of like, Cole and Gargano and Cross and everybody just just egging him on. Oh, well, sorry, you can't wrestle. Sorry, you can't hack it. Sorry, you can't do this. And instead, week one, they have him choke out Adam Cole. And you're like, OK, great. He makes everybody else look bad. That's what he does, because Joe is such a dominant presence. And yeah, I, I want to. Yeah, 
build up the tension till it explodes and that's what needed to be done with the way continue sorry yeah no um so i i just thought that this was uh this is a great opportunity to screw cross out of the title because ultimately in order to protect this character's brand you probably have to screw him out of the title he can't lose clean this is not a character that it, it does not work if this character loses clean um not the least of which is what is charlotte's blocking on the outside going to be like she's like withering as like uh, as carrying cross is going down for the three count um uh, no uh, you have he has to get screwed of the title and gargano twerp heel was the perfect vehicle for this i mean it, it's not it can't be bronson reed for the love of god no, I, and I think Bronson Reed's probably doing a loser leaves NXT match with Cole. <laughs> but that's what that'll turn out to be or something to that effect. Because I think he's gone too. But yeah, there, there are ways. If people are leaving, there are ways to do it where you make the character interesting on the way out. And I, I just don't see any of these choices being made. So I'm a little frustrated. So no in-depth reviews for any of these shows this week. But we will get a little bit to... Uh, to the main roster shows when we do Money in the Bank preview, which we'll start right now. I'll run this, Chris. I'll read you the lineup. You tell me who you think's going to win. Tell me about the match. Tell me anything that interests you about it. We'll start with the pre-show. Ray Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio, your, your SmackDown tag team champs, just in case you might not remember that, taking on the Usos, Jay and Jimmy. <laughs> Title matches on the pre-show after being arrested but okay uh how do you see this going down chris do you see the usos getting the tag titles <laughs> i i think that there's a better than like 40 percent chance the usos win the titles here oh my uh, god no. no i i yeah i think there's a decent chance yeah and, but the problem is there's no other tag team that the mysterios have in the in the, unless we want to dig out like the Alpha Academy, again. no, and, and like let's be clear here: the the writing has gotten uninterested in Rey Mysterio and Dominic, which is a damn shame, might I say? Because uh, Rey Mysterio is a transcendental actor. Um, you know, you talk about some people really finding their Hold on, knack. Ray, yeah, oh, Ray yeah. Dominic Mysterio is is the Olivier of our time. I. I missed the whole love story too. Uh, uh, what what's her name? Uh, and Buddy Murphy was. Uh, was oh, Aaliyah and Buddy Murphy. Aaliyah yes, and Buddy the, Murphy, powerful the, stuff. Rob, <laughs> yes, it was the Romeo and Juliet for a new generation, and Dominic could have come in as Tybalt. We would have all been better off for it. Was, was uh, Romeo thirty five and Juliet was seventeen? <laughs> technically true. No. Um, <laughs> I have the Mysterios winning this, and then probably going on to something like Dolphin rude again or just what what other team can we recycle out of this or they might get moved they might lose and then get moved to like raw that could happen i could i could i could see a I don't lot know. of i mean i just think what if here's my thought on this like my serious thought on this if they're bringing back jimmy uso um despite all of his off-camera troubles that we still want full speed ahead on that like then my only assumption is, okay, Chris, pretend that Jimmy Uso never had a DUI. Like, you just morally feel nothing about that. It leaves you cold and dead inside. Um, what was the angle prior to this outside-of-the-ring news event? And the angle to me was the Usos 
and Roman have all the belts at some point, and then the Usos drop the belts, and the, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's the the family gets the titles, and the younger guys only have the title for so long. Roman doesn't help keep the belts on the Usos, um, and says. Or maybe there's some match where Rome pay-per-view where Roman needs to hang on to his title and he doesn't come and save them during their title match. Um, that's where my head was at with this angle. Um, and I guess we're still going down that path if we're not pulling Jimmy Uso from TV. Chris, there's only one thing that can save us. That's Duke Flat Hogan. <laughs> what? Duke Hogan. <laughs> Oh, uh, you mean uh, Duke Hudson? Duke, Duke Hudson. Hudson. That's I mean, that's yeah, a, yeah. Duke Hudson. <laughs> like, we, we we had a bunch of Duke Hudson jokes. Like like you know, Duke Hudson, the the guy at the office who carries in the the water, the big water jugs. He like when the Ozarka guy throws his back, Duke Hudson throws him over his shoulders. Yeah, no, uh, good Duke old Duke Hudson is management material. That's the guy has has middle management written all over him who beat a guy in a jacket. Uh, and, and, and you know what's funny is that pose that he does in the ring is exactly the guy who is tall and is getting the promotion for no other reason. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> captain, captain of the work softball team, Duke Hudson. He's our he's our star first baseman. Get over here, wacky guy in jacket. Take your loss. I can't believe they make him. They let him wear the jacket in the ring. I, I just, I'm not for. Oh that. man, the, the, <laughs> Ig Manjiro, you know, Here's the thing with him too is, uh, when he was more serious, I was like, oh, this guy is actually like, you know, like a handsome dude or whatever. They just have him playing goofy cartoon character so goofy hard. foreigner, goofy, yeah, goofy foreigner. foreigner. Gotta bring uh, him I, I that in. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, and I had to subscribe uh, <laughs> with Umberto Carrillo this week. Like, like when they showed him on TV, <laughs> he lost to Sheamus in 18 seconds. This is another like moment where I, I just kind of throw my hands up because it's like, dude, this guy should have at this point right now in Chris, 2021. Chris, hold on, Umberto Carrillo should be on the poise of having his friggin' decade here as the star. One of the stars for this company, not like, like the top guy, but like one of like the great five or the great seven for this company over the next decade. Bro kicked by a 42-year-old Sheamus who has a broken face. I got a broken face. Um, like, Yeah, like, uh, what is <laughs> Chris, it? Hold on, what hold on, Chris. This? I got I to cut you off. They had him give the inspirational Rudy speech. You know what? It's, it's not how many times you get knocked back down tell me times you get back up i'm going out there to fight you 18 seconds gets wiped out you loser you and, oh we need to get behind our our young stars right now i just i i watched that and i went why don't we just set money on fire on the screen and just go on with our he, lives like ah. he's so he's so marketable He's so like, like this guy should be so easy. No, no, <laughs> Between no. Between the move set, it looks good. He's a good-looking guy. Uh, like, like, yeah, like, it, he, he, you're you're doing stuff around the world. He can help expand you out to Spanish-speaking audiences, and they need stars to kind of fill that niche a little bit more. I like. Look at the way they have doggedly pushed Jinder Mahal. 
I mean, juxtapose <laughs> Umberto Carrillo to Jinder Mahal, especially on this run, and how much burn he's getting compared to what they bought when they signed him up again the second time around. This is not the Jinder Mahal of five years ago, ladies and gentlemen. Jinder Mahal never gets beat in 18 seconds, but we're going to beat Umberto Carrillo in 18 seconds because... Jinder Mahal got after- a world championship push. Umberto Carrillo doesn't. <laughs> and it... <laughs> it's, it was the speech, though. That speech is, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through adversity and overcome my obstacles. And everybody's like, yes, that is a man. Oh, he just got beat. Screw him. <laughs> oh, we're so off the rails here in our preview. I no, just... but like, like these are these are the thoughts that go through. But I don't need to go match by match for these shows because they're like these discreet moments that like really. <laughs> Stick with me and make me seethe. And like, I think honestly, in a way, that's the better way to recap my experience with WWE television this week versus going match by match. But let's get into our Money in the Bank preview or get back to it. <laughs> yeah, we, we're already in it. We got out of it. We're going back into it. We're going I, with I'm our run out of the building here, clearly. Our personal PTSD, where we're just going through things that just scarred us during these shows. AJ Styles and Omos versus the Viking Raiders for the WWE Raw Tag Team Championship. Is there any way in hell the Viking Raiders beat these two? No. Omos stinks. I, I, I yes. so, he stinks. He he stinks. We the mystery is finally out as to why they protected this guy for so long. Apparently. Someone really believed in him and someone else. I don't, I, I have a guess on who someone who really believed in him is, but someone else, and I don't know who that is, had the good sense to say, oh, for the love of God, sir, please know if we put him on TV and actually have him have real matches, he's going to be exposed real bad. But this match against Eric this week was like, uh, it stunk. You, th- this guy stinks. Um, like his only function hold on, in life. Hold on, Chris. Chris, who needs Braun Strowman when we have Omos? <laughs> I mean, we could have we could have put Braun with AJ Omos Styles doing a diving headbutt because Braun Strowman <laughs> can do it. Because Braun Strowman could do that kind of stuff. Uh, Omos, I think, would break every bone in his, like, giant frame, his giant immobile frame, just trying to get up on top of the top rope, let alone coming off of it. I'm not saying big guys need to fly off of it, but, like, dude, this guy is, he's just there. He he just is tall. He He's, he's not quite giant Gonzalez. But he's on the giant Gonzalez spectrum. He's not, yes. you know, he's not Paul White. He's not in that category in the slightest. Oh, let's get rid of the two money in the bank matches before we go into the championship matches because there could be a cash in, because there usually is during the pay per view. And what might be, <laughs> God bless him, the worst match all year. It has that potential. Asuka, Naomi, Alexa Bliss, Nikki Ash, because we have two crosses, versus Liv Morgan, versus Zelina Vega, versus Natty, versus Tamina, who have lost matches in the last two weeks to Knox and Shotzi. This, this is your Money in the Bank women's ladder match. Chris, I will give you who you think could win, or who you think will win, and who you think could win. I'll give you two choices here out of the eight. See what you got. 
I mean, it's got to be Alexa. It's the only character that they remotely give a crap about. And I'll I'll go, who could win? Nikki Ash. Um, That, like, you know, that we have an Ash in, you know, uh, that's that's a cash in without the C. Like, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. That's I'm the sorry. Worst sorry. joke ever told on this show, and I love sorry. you for it. I'm sorry. I did oh that. my god. Uh, oh. Like, <laughs> um, so I'm going Alexa or Nikki. Uh, those those are my two choices. I'm, I'm sending that to the company, saying you gotta call it an ad. Okay, I'm gonna go a little different. I think could win Oscar. Um. Just because I think I think this is going to the raw side of the ledger, definitely. And I think it's going to be someone that Vince has a little bit more faith in. It's not going to be some young up-and-comer. I think this is going to sound weird. I think Naomi may win this just because they want to give her that moment of, of cashing in and people would get behind it as kind of a Kofi type of thing. I think they, And I, I don't think she's been on the radar during this build. You know, if you have somebody who wins a match, that's usually automatically they're not going to win it. If somebody climbs the ladder, they're not going to win it. It's always the person who usually looks the worst in the build. And I got to say either Oscar or Naomi is here, and I'm going to go with Naomi winning the Money in the Bank ladder match here. That That's interesting. Uh, Naomi's someone who I guess I sort of have been circling a little bit as like, is she maybe having a character change at some point too? Uh, maybe a yeah. bit of a change of attitude. So, like, uh, Money in the Bank could I, be... I, I could, they could give it to Naomi and have her cash in on Bianca and just have Twitter just go ape. <laughs> just be terrible. Uh, yeah, okay. Men's Money in the Bank, Ricochet, John Morrison, Riddle, Drew McIntyre, Big E, Kevin Owens, King Nakamura, and Seth Rollins. Who you got? feel like big e is probably the guy um that's that's kind of but like i could also see i guess i could see seth rollins too and then that builds into an uneasy relationship between rollins and roman and kind of fuels and pads out the roman and the family dynamic with rollins because Roman now has to keep Rollins in pocket, and Rollins has this thing that he always has dangling over Roman's head. Um, those are the two sort of pathways that at least immediately jump out to me. What do you got? I agree with Big E, and I think they're going to stay as far away from the interesting story as possible, which is Kofi winning a title against Bobby Lashley and then getting, getting cashed in on by Big E. I think they're going to just... They're just going to separate those two, and this is how they're going to build up Big E and Roman. Uh, I think KO is the other guy here. I think KO and Heyman do really good work together. KO's kind of been building the, I'm going to win this for a number of weeks and just hang it over Paul Heyman and Heyman being worried about it. So I think it's going to be one of those two. I will go with Big E winning the, the ladder match here. Going into the title matches, you can also say if you think there will be a cash-in at this point, and we will have a new women's championship or new new women's championship, new world championship on any of these matches. We will start on the raw side with the women's title. Rhea Ripley taking on Charlotte Flair. Um, I think there's a cash in here. 
I, I, I'm going to okay. go ahead and call my shot. I, I think that the Rhea Ripley, Charlotte Flair thing is so dead in the water um, that they may have a late night rewrite and go, you know what? Let's just have a cash in happen here. Um, let's have Alexa come down and mercifully put old Yeller out down behind the back of the farm here and move on with our lives. Um, Cause this Rhea Ripley Charlotte feud stinks. And the most likely outcome is that Rhea Ripley and Charlotte should turn heel together and become friends and allies as heels together. Um, so what you would need to have happen in order to sort of justify that is them both getting screwed at the same time, which says to me, cash in. Oh, Chris, I think you caught on to something, but I think you got the wrong person. I think it is going to be, and Michael Cole might say, it's an ash in. Chris, who has gotten one over with the neener neener chicken pox? Two, it doesn't get beaten under two minute things for both Rhea and Charlotte here. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They have yeah, not sure. brought that up on TV, and I think they did that on purpose so we would not suspect. Although it's weird because she was the person on top in the four way. So that screams to me illogical that they would do it this way. But if there's a cash in here, it has to be Nikki. And then she gets beat by whoever gets it next. I probably Charlotte again. I, I think Charlotte flair is the champion after all this though. I do. It, it just is the safer thing. Oh, I certainly think the Rhea Ripley title reign is coming to a close here very quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and it seems to me very, very likely that Rhea Ripley does not leave as champion. Now, whether that is Charlotte or whether that is a cash in, I think is open. But, but I, I mean, I would put Rhea retaining at around 35 to 40% maximum. Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman taking on Hide Your Wives. It's Edge for the singles match for the WWE Universal title. Does Edge have any shot in hell at winning after this past Friday SmackDown? No. I, I mean, I, 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 there was no real peril. Um, I, I mean, I think that they sort of mishandled using the live audience here uh, to get... We needed to get, like, really, really, really behind Edge. Um, and I, I think that they, they needed to have edge come out, not be paired with the Mysterios, but like edges comes out and like talks to the people for five to seven minutes to open up this show. And then you have Roman and the family come out and attack edge and have the entire show be a wraparound about edge, um, to the, with the mission of the show, the singular mission of the show, everything else is kind of ancillary. Uh, but the singular mission of the show should have been to sell us, the fans on really, 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 really wanting to see edge kick Roman's ass at the end of this show here. Um, that like, maybe he's chasing Roman out of the building. Uh, but like, like, like we want to see edge finally catch Roman reigns here um, and, and make us really believe that edge in a fair fight could do that. And I, and I just, I, they've rushed bringing back edge. They have not really done a great job characterizing him um, or really fully establishing not just his baby faceness. But my, as a fan, want to see this particular baby face succeed. Why do I want to see Edge succeed and not Kevin Owens? 
Um, you know, like I, we mentioned him earlier, I, ra- I sort of think is the wraparound storyline. Owens, who got screwed so many different ways by Roman Reigns, including by that referee botch. Um, but they can bring that back up again. Like, you know, Kevin Owens should have won the title and they, they even paid off the referee that one time. Uh, you know, like, um, I'm more interested in see Kevin Owens beat Roman Reigns and kind of complete the circuit than I am seeing Edge. Um, so I don't think they've done a good job selling it. I don't think Edge has a chance of winning this title. I think Roman Reigns retains. I agree. I think this is fairly easy, and I don't think there's a cash-in. Um, because I think John Cena is probably next for Roman at SummerSlam. Uh Okay, and finally, for the WWE title, Bobby Lashley with MVP taking on Kofi Kingston with Xavier Woods, who rolled up Bobby Lashley for a one, two, three. Now, to me, Chris, I'm going to go first on this one because the interesting story here to tell is that Kofi wins the title with Xavier Woods owed a title shot and with Biggie with a briefcase and with both of them gunning for Kofi and MVP doing his best to get in there and get in everybody's head, maybe even taking one of them on as a heel to go after Kofi. But it appears with the Goldberg signing that somehow Bobby Lashley is getting out of this with the title, with no cash in. I think I know how. I think Xavier Woods gets added as a third person in this match. I do. I think they're just going to... While we all want a one-on-one match, I think they're going to say, and maybe even MVP does it against Kofi's will, is, hey, Xavier Woods deserves a title shot more than Kofi. Put him in in the triple threat type of thing. And we get the, you know, well, will they or won't they fight? They fight at one point, but eventually they come together. And then because we don't want to beat Kofi, Bobby Lashley beats Xavier Woods to retain his title. And we move on to Goldberg. I don't think that's an interesting story. I think the more interesting story is having the New Day let test their friendship and hopefully come out of it. Although oh God, <laughs> Vince doesn't do well with friends. And so, so friendship is nothing more than people that you're waiting to screw. But I think Bobby Lashley wins this. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, okay. So like working backwards here from the Goldberg SummerSlam thing, uh, I think the way we get to Goldberg at SummerSlam is with Bobby Lashley having dominant performances over all all of his opponents on the way to SummerSlam. And I expect money in the bank to be the beginning of that March of dominance. Um, like the way they ended raw with the, I need to get my attitude back. No more of this horrible VIP lounge, which I was just like, thank God. He almost turned baby face when he announced the end of the VIP lounge for me. It's been horrible. They what? might be turning him babyface. That's what I was thinking when he got rid of it, where he was kind of like yelling at MVP also. So I, I don't know. but Yeah, no, I, I mean, I thought about all of that, but I think, okay, I think what we're seeing is um, the heels teasing fake tension between each other. Um, I think they'll resolve things at the pay-per-view. I think they get back on the same page. Um, I Look, if if it were me... And this is this is just like my fantasy booking hack because as I said, I'm working from the premise that we're going to Lashley Goldberg at SummerSlam, so I think Lashley is going to just cut through Kofi Kingston. Um, I'm not sure that Woods is even in this match, um, but maybe if, if Woods is inserted in this match, I think the only logical way to book that uh, long term 
would be to have essentially like some miscommunication between Woods and Kingston. But after that initial miscommunication, it's mostly just a dominant Bobby Lashley performance where he beats up Woods and Kingston at the same time. I know no one who likes the New Day um, <laughs> it, it wants to hear this. I'm just telling you, if we're building a Goldberg, the whole point of like Goldberg's like, a monster who fights other giant monsters. He's a kaiju. Um, you need to make Bobby Lashley into a kaiju, and a kaiju's got to like eat the head off of some villagers here. And that's who Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods and like the New Day sort of have to be in that formula of story, which is the story they are going to be telling. But if it were me, what I would do here um, is a little bit different. Um, I would start setting up the Xavier Woods heel turn. Um, and I would use this roll up here on Monday night as the inflection point of what's getting a taste of what winning looks like and like what beating a world champion looks like. And his first heel move is he helps to screw Bobby Lashley out of the title to get the belt on Kofi Kingston, which does not sit right with Kofi. And so Kofi's now world champion. Kofi feels like he's not legitimate on some level because Woods has helped him. And Woods is like, why don't you appreciate what I've done for you, my friend? I should be champion. I could be champion. Would you not do the same for me? And that's the thing that slowly festers until Woods eventually turns on Kofi Kingston at SummerSlam. That, of course, is far too interesting and complex for anything you're going to get on WWE television. So I think what's going to happen here is, yeah, like Bobby Lashley smashes Kofi Kingston. But what do you think of my little fantasy book there? I like it. I mean, I like anything. I, I don't, I just don't see them ever breaking up the new day unless they, I mean, in terms of that in, in that way, because they just make too much money for, for the company. No, I know. Um, I, mean, I think that that goes back to Woods and Kingston too, but I, but I think I will, I, part of the call to the void here, Woods turning on Woods turning on Kingston would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Or, or at least Woods doing things that, that Kofi's uncomfortable with as it ends justify the means type of thing, I think would be fun. I had a different thought as you're going through that. And uh, this is more in line with what Vince would be thinking to build this Lashley Goldberg feud. Somebody needs to be taking falls for, for Lashley, right? I think we get the hurt business back. I do. <laughs> you know, I could see him bringing back, bring it because they mentioned Cedric the other day with, with in that Lashley promo with, uh, with, with MVP, I think we bring in Cedric to take some falls from Goldberg, which is just going to be ridiculously stupid. I, I, uh, no, I no, think, but... this is actually a great point. No, they need, they need a two Oh five liver, um, to come in and sell Bill Goldberg's 50 year old geriatric spear. Like he's getting shot out of a cannon. Um, and, and Cedric Alexander is nothing if not a bump master. Yes. And of course you put the guy with the spear on the show opposite the guy, the, the two guys who are doing spears between Roman and edge. I mean, that's just, the, that's I, just I just the, want at SummerSlam two different matches to have the spot where the two guys run into each other and conk skulls off of spears <laughs> like edge and Roman do it. And then also Lashley and Goldberg do it. And they, and it's a double down in both matches. Let's just, well, that's right. Cause way. Lashley has a spear too. Let's just yeah. do a four way with spears and they all four <laughs> converge <laughs> in the middle like of the, the ring. Machines. 
It <laughs> just heads blow up and blood goes all out like Gallagher concert or something like that. Sure, why not? That's gonna do it for our silliness this week. Follow me at Crap Game Thirteen. You can follow Chris at DWATG. I almost used your old Twitter handle there. You can just follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. All one word. We are part of the Voices of Wrestling Network. You can watch the show, watch our kind of weird reactions to each other at uh, at the Voices of Wrestling channel on YouTube. Uh, we're on all your platforms. We'll do better next week. Chris, plug DWATG. Oh, and get your uh, Ask Us Anything questions in to me. You can either DM or email them to me, crapgame13 at gmail.com. Yeah, so uh, ask us anything. Don't worry.tv. Don't worry about the government's name of the program. Go to don'tworry.tv. The page was down. It's back up. Um, you can go to the Patreon for that, patreon.com slash DWATG if you like want the shows a little bit sooner because the, the way – Jeff knows it's like the way of Zoom exports video. It's much easier for me to just upload the video up there versus editing and stuff, which takes more time. So, like, I get the videos out pretty much after we tape them versus the audios, which take a minute. Um, so, you can go and check that out, patreon.com slash DWATG. Um, other than that, uh, if you want to talk rock, message me. Um, otherwise, uh, hopefully I'll see some of y'all at these events. I'll be at Monday Night Raw. And I will be at AEW as well. So if you want to link up, message me on uh, Twitter at DWATG.